Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the Extra Point is good. Welcome in to Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060, online at kdos1060.com, and with the all-new kdos1060.com Superbook Sports app. It is Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you on this Wednesday, March 22nd. We'll be with you up until noon today. Plenty to get into. NFL conversation will be joined by Nate Davis around 11.15, coming to us from USA Today. We'll get into your phone calls at 602-260-1060 around 10.30 today. We'll get into the World Baseball Classic. We'll get into ASU extending head coach Bobby Hurley. And we'll get into... The WGC match play event underway, but as we typically do, we set the scene with today's poll questions, and we'll start here with the KDOS1060.com poll question. Did you watch any of the World Baseball Classic? Yes, out in front here at 67% of the vote. No, now trailing at 33%. Yeah, certainly a classic last night, and we were, uh, I mentioned yesterday uh, during the sports zone uh, from uh, 9 to 10 that, uh, you know, we're hoping that we might get an Otani versus Mike Trout battle. Didn't know it was going to be the last out of the World Baseball Classic, but uh, that was a lot of drama there involved, so it was fun. Absolutely, and we'll certainly get into this here in just a few minutes. On Twitter, at KDOSAM1060, who do you have ATS on Thursday as the Sweet 16 gets started? Arkansas and UConn. Arkansas plus 3.5, UConn minus 3.5. Numbers coming to you from the FanDuel Sportsbook app, and UConn out in front at 55.6% of the vote. Arkansas, 44.4%. I'm a little stunned about all the talk here about Arkansas, who nobody really paid much attention to and unless it was because of injuries for the majority of the season. And you know, Arkansas had a, you know, an under 500 record in the SEC, and uh, Arkansas is losing by double digits in the second half to Kansas in the, over the weekend, and now they win a game and everybody's uh, on the Arkansas bandwagon. Uh, I can understand the, uh, the Eric Musselman uh, excitement because he's done an amazing job in this tournament, whether it's at Nevada or whether it's been at Arkansas. But, uh, you know, it's amazing how, you know, a couple of days change uh, the minds of the public because, as I mentioned, nobody was talking about Arkansas last week at this time. And they, they were stumbling their way into the NCAA tournament. And in fact, not everybody exactly thought they even should have been in the NCAA tournament. Uh, We will answer this question around 11.30 today. As I mentioned, Nate Davis with USA Today set to talk NFL with us at 11.15. So let's get into the World Baseball Classic. It ended last night in a 3-2 win for Japan over the United States. And just how fitting. Shohei Otani uh, out to close the game for Japan. Two outs for USA. Mike Trout at the plate, of course. Shohei Otani, Mike Trout are teammates with the Los Angeles Angels. Uh, at the plate as they as the United States is down one run and Otani strikes him out. But first of all, my word, the stuff that Otani was throwing was just completely filthy. 
Yeah, we haven't seen him in the relief pitching situation in his major league career. He's done a little bit of this in the WBC before, and he was still playing in Japan. He did this, but uh, you know the uh, you know warming up and then going back to go at bat and then warming up again and so forth. But you know it's a you know relief pitchers you can air it out. I mean, there's only one inning to go, and he wasn't going to pitch more than one inning no matter what apparently even if they'd scored a run and a game gone into extra innings. So, uh, you know, it's kind of uh, the relief pitcher mantra, and, uh, you know, that's uh, kind of what we see during the regular season from, uh, you know, guys that are closers on a regular basis uh, for major league teams. Well, to your point here, Otani has not closed since 2016, so it's been quite a while. This is also some staggering statistics, according to MLB.com. In Mike Trout's 6,174 career at-bats, he has recorded three swinging strikes just 24 times. Percentage-wise, that is 0.39% of his at-bats. Otani got him swinging on two 100-mile-an-hour four-seam fastballs down the middle, and then, of course, that final pitch, an 87.2-mile-per-hour sweeper. First of all, that's incredibly impressive for Mike Trout, and then secondly of all, uh, Otani with his pitch sequence there, getting Mike Trout to do that, uh, swinging, swinging with strikes three times. You know, Trout obviously had a really good tournament. Uh, if you go back to his one time where he was in the postseason uh, several years ago at the Angels, it didn't go so well. If I'm not mistaken, I'm not 100% sure I shouldn't throw this out. I think he might have struck out the end of that series against the Royals. But, uh, you, know, it's, uh, you know, he was you know, he couldn't catch up to high fastballs in those days. Uh, so that was certainly not the case last night because uh, Otani, I actually – I don't think that uh, he didn't exactly split the plate with those uh, you know three pitches, but I think he was doing a good job kind of, kind of keeping it out of the happy zone or the power zone for Trout during that at bat. The World Baseball Classic will return in 2026, according to uh, Rob Manford on Tuesday. It took place this year for the first time since 2017. There has been plenty of questions that have surrounded the World Baseball Classic and whether or not March, the month of March, is the right time and the right fit for this particular event and this particular tournament. Uh I, I guess the question I have in return is, is there a better option? Because if you look at November after the season, that doesn't really seem great because you will have some players that will have continued their run uh, through the World Series or into some sort of playoff baseball. Other players will have ended uh, their season, so they'll be off for a couple of uh, a month or so. July during the All-Star break does seem to make some sense. However, if you're looking at maybe some eyeballs here in America, um, America, uh, you know, that's that's summer vacation time. There's kind of a reason for the, the all-star break there. So I don't know if that sort of, um, you know, eyeball opportunity there is maybe why March makes the most sense. However, March is going up against a lot of other activities, including March Madness. Yeah, but uh, nobody in Japan knows about March Madness or the Dominican Republic. They don't care about that and all the attention they get from the uh, you know, those countries, and as we mentioned, uh, Bob Nightingale was on the last hour with me, and, uh, you know, the the television ratings in Japan were just incredible, needless to say. You know, I think you can completely, you know, eliminate any idea about their some kind of end-of-the-season tournament uh, for the WBC. You know, I think you've got players that are entering free agency, and they're more concerned about, you know, they've made it through the long season, 
and uh, they're you know they're up for contract extensions or you know new teams or whatever at that point. And I think that there, there's zero chance they would ever move it to that. I definitely agree with you on that point. And to your other point about uh, just the the number of people interested in this World Baseball Classic, I did see that the first round of the tournament drew over 1 million attendees and set a WBC first round attendance record. In fact, that is a 98% increase from 2017, according to MajorLeagueBaseball.com. So that's just people that were in attendance. I don't have the TV rating numbers as it is right now, uh, but certainly just people people interested in going in all of the different uh, areas that they had it across the world, it set some records on that front. Yeah, I don't think there's any question that when Major League Baseball came up with the concept of this, that this has become a much bigger deal than even Major League Baseball thought it might be. I mean, it's, uh, you know, maybe not as big a deal here in the United States uh, as far as the U.S. baseball fans are concerned. Uh, But uh, as far as just the worldwide appeal to the thing, and I'm guessing that you know, even you know, you know cynical. I probably conclude myself into this cinical, uh, you know, U.S. you know WBC you know followers because I'm not going to call myself necessarily a fan, but I did enjoy the last three days of competition for sure. Uh, but uh, you know, this has got to be a, a you know, this has really turned out to be great for them, as it turns out, and uh, you know, as a as a, as a baseball fan, it kind of gets you last night's game. Um, it like really actually the game two nights ago, the Mexico Japan game. That's one of the best baseball games you'll see ever in uh, that particular setting and so forth with the lead changes and you know the I uh, guess there was more strategy involved in that game. I think last night the strategy was pretty much uh, you know when's Otani gonna pitch and how they're gonna figure out Darvish and the fact that they didn't start Darvish and. You know, I don't want to botch the first the uh, the name of the uh, first Japanese pitcher, but unfortunately, I'm sure a lot of baseball fans are thinking, when's that dude going to be in the major leagues? Well, he's can't he's not eligible to be in the major leagues for a couple more years at least. So, yeah, that guy was uh, very impressive with his stuff. Needless to say. Yeah, I think to your point about, you know, Major League Baseball maybe not envisioning this much success with the tournament, uh, but from a standpoint of having to, you know, we hear this a lot in golf, grow the game, quote unquote, grow the game. Well, baseball has to, to figure out a way to do that too uh, across the world. And I think you're starting to see some connections being made uh, with this World Baseball Classic in addition to just kind of the the nationalism and the, the pride that is always surrounding all of those sorts of events. So it was really, really well done on that front uh, for the tournament this year. I want to talk about Merrill Kelly, though. Merrill Kelly had the opportunity to start last night's game. He made it one in one-third inning, three hits, two runs, two walks, one home run, and one strikeout. In his other start, three innings pitched, four hits, two runs, two walks, and one strikeout. Can something like this in these particular moments with this type of pressure, because the Diamondbacks with Merrill Kelly on the roster haven't had this kind of pressure, does something like this ruin confidence? Nah, I don't think so. I mean, he was obviously not happy when uh, Mark DeRosa took him out of the game, but he faced nine hitters and got four guys out. So he is, uh, DeRosa had every reason to take him out, and it was going to be, you know, certainly if you just look at the, you know, the, the dynamics of the game at the time, 
you knew at some point that uh, most likely Darvish and and, and Otani were going to pitch, and uh, you couldn't fall couldn't afford to fall too far behind in that game. And obviously, that game, that game turned out to be kind of a solo home run festival anyway. Absolutely. So Team USA falling to Japan. They are the World Baseball Classic uh, champions. And speaking of, you know, some champions and things of that nature, we'll get into what's taking place at the World Golf Championships as match play is underway. So we'll dive into that uh, a little bit later on in the show uh, as Scotty Scheffler has yet to tee off, but he's looking to repeat as champion of this event. We'll get into your phone calls around 1030 today. 602-260-1060 is the number. But on the other side, we'll dive into uh, some local topics with some Cardinals news as well as ASU men's basketball reaching a contract extension with head coach Bobby Hurley. He is Bob Kemp. I I am Kayla Mortolaro. It is the Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060, KDOS1060.com, and the all-new KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Interact with Bob Kemp's poll question on KDUS1060.com. That's KDUS1060.com. And while you're there, check out Bob Kemp's bottom line at KDUS1060.com. here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. You can follow along online at KDOS1060.com or with the new KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you. And, and let's get into ASU men's basketball, reaching an extension with head coach Bobby Hurley. Extension runs through the 2026 season pending approval from the Arizona Board of Regents, but I can't see why that would not be approved uh, in Ray Anderson's official statement, he says, Coach Hurley has made our program relevant nationally with many significant wins and an exciting style, along with a firm commitment to the academic success of our student-athletes. He has made clear to us that he wants to be here, and we have done likewise with him. We share a strong confidence in the present and future state of Sun Devil men's basketball. When it comes to just the numbers, he's 141 and 113 in his time at ASU, 71 and 70 in Pac-12 play, and he's made it to the round of 64 twice. Yeah, um, yeah, I understand Anderson's statement and so forth. Uh, yeah, but Hurley was mentioned for the St. John's job before, obviously, Rick Pitino got that. But we mentioned uh, months ago that uh, that was going to be a possibility for St. John's with Pitino. Then as recently as Monday, he was as men- mentioned for the Providence opening when Ed Cooley went to uh, Georgetown. Uh, but, you know, I also remember a quote or I don't know if it was an exact quote or speculation, at least, that the Hurleys did not want to be coaching against each other in the Big East and so forth. So I'm not I don't know if I completely buy any of that, but it, this is not a year, uh, at least to this point, And I don't think it's going to change drastically here where there's been a whole lot of coaching openings in college basketball other than, you know, just a. You know, the two jobs I just mentioned, uh, you know, Georgetown and St. John's and definitely East Coast. And any time that an East Coast job opens, it seems like Hurley's job, a name gets mentioned, whether Seton Hall you know, last year or you know, anything involving the Big East this year. But as I mentioned, it sure seemed like I'm positive that at some point, at least it was speculation and maybe actually a quote from one of them, 
that uh, they didn't, uh, they weren't uh, looking forward to the possibility of coaching against each other, and I'm sure that would be difficult for uh, you know mom and dad to uh, to deal with that. Well, I think that makes makes some sense that they don't want to be coaching up against each other in the conference. Absolutely. Yeah, that yeah. makes a ton of sense. Uh, yeah. You know, I could also be remembering things incorrectly as well, uh, but I seem to, to remember Hurley really speaking about living on the West Coast and like living in Arizona as um, something that he really enjoys. So again, if, if the school doesn't want you and you have to go where the next job opportunity is, you're obviously going to go. But if there's mutual interest to stay, uh, I just seem to remember him saying how much he enjoys living here. No, I agree with that. And, you know, I know that Doug Haller did a thing uh, once. We went hiking together, if I remember correctly. Uh, and uh, yeah, he certainly enjoys that part of things. Seems like his family likes it here, etc. However, uh, let's be serious here. I mean, in the history of the ASU basketball program, there's been pockets of success. They've gone through a, a bushel of coaches. Uh, over the years, ever since Ned Wolk left, it seems like it's kind of a you know revolving door every few years. Uh, Ned Wolk hasn't been here for you know since the 80s, so it's been it's, uh, lots of changes. And th- I don't think this is a you know this sleeping giant crap that I always bring up during football. The same thing goes to basketball. I think it's even less uh, of a sleeping giant in the basketball world than it is in football. You know, I I certainly agree with the sentiment that there have been many significant wins and exciting style of play for ASU. Uh, Certainly, we we there's opportunities for us to sit down and be really excited about watching them play. And when I look at this, though, my questions remain. How can there be more success in conference play? How can what they do in these non-conference games translate over to the Pac-12 play? And I just think that there's some sort of like letdown that takes place during conference play. And do you have any suggestions for for how that kind of gets turned around? Because that's where things get a little, to me, like off kilter, and they kind of stumble and bumble, and then they pick themselves back up toward the end of the season in conference play. I don't think – I'm not going to segment it from uh, yeah, non-conference in November, December to conference play and beyond. I just need – I don't need to be a complete wise-ass wise, wise ass here, but they need better players. Um you know, they've had some guys that have come through here. You know, Lou Dort is certainly uh, somebody that uh, was a tremendous player, and I don't think a lot of people around here realize how good that he was. And uh, certainly, unfortunately, Lou Dort involved in a play with Paul George last night, which might you know, damage the Clippers' chances for the rest of this season. Uh, but, you know, they need more guys that are difference-making players. Uh, you know, the Josh Christopher thing, he was supposed to be a difference-making player and Bagley and whatever, and those things haven't worked out. So whatever reason, I just don't think they've had good enough players to really sustain consistency. Uh, So I think, though, at least in conclusion, that we both are in agreement that uh, this two-year contract extension is is fine for the program and that we're not upset with it in any way, shape, or form. No, I'm good. And plus, I always ask the question, when, no matter what, whether it's ASU or whether it's a professional sports team here changing a coach, you know, who are you going to get? You know, everybody wants the coach that's currently, not everybody, a lot of people, no matter what the sport, every time that somebody loses a game, it's uh, oftentimes the coach's fault and we, you know, we want to get him out of here. Well, who are you going to bring in? 
I think that that's the question that's not answered enough or even asked enough, let alone answered. Let's stay here locally, but transition over to the Arizona Cardinals. A couple of things that became officially official. Uh, the team officially assigned wide receiver Zach Pascal to a two-year contract. Pascal joins from the Eagles, who had 15 catches, 150 yards, and one touchdown. He also had seven special teams tackles last season. Pascal has been with the Eagles and the Colts in his five-year career in the NFL, and obviously he's coming over and, and coming with Jonathan Gannon. Uh, you know, I think we're at the point here with the Cardinals that some of these signings that I'm going to be going through, not high profile, and that's not what the expectation is. The high-profile um, move is going to be when DeAndre Hopkins gets traded. Well, and if you watched uh, network television yesterday, whether it's ESPN or NFL Network, within literally two hours or maybe even like an hour and a half, uh, ESPN with Diane Rossini reporting uh, that the, the Cardinals are getting hardly any interest as far as DeAndre Hopkins goes. Uh, and uh, she mentioned one team uh, really actively, or maybe I don't know actively is the word she used, but talking with the Cardinals. However, if you flip it to NFL Network within the next 90 minutes or so, it's uh, Ian Rappaport saying that uh, there's uh, there many teams uh, are definitely interested in Hopkins. So who knows? I don't know. And like I said, this is just kind of a continuing series here of conflicting reports regarding the NFL. Uh, from ESPN's insiders and the NFL Network people. And uh, this one just happens to involve the Cardinals and DeAndre Hopkins. The other official signing, they signed quarterback David Blau to a one-year deal. He did play in two games with the Cardinals last year, 38 of 58, 402 yards, two touchdowns. He has been with the Browns. I do not remember that. I know he's been with the Lions and the Vikings in some capacity, whether it's the active roster or on the practice squad. Uh, you know, he, he proved to be serviceable in his two games with the Cardinals last year. Uh, I would beg to differ on that. I think he's just a you know, third quarterback on a team that fills out a roster spot, quite frankly. Uh, and I've never seen anything more than that from him in his NFL career. And, uh, and quite frankly, I wasn't all that impressed when he was at Purdue back in the day. And the other official signing here, offensive lineman Dennis Daly to a two-year contract. Daly joins from the Titans, where he played all 17 games, including 15 starts, was traded to the Titans last year from the Panthers. And this, of course, uh, a connection with general manager Monty Ossenfort. He has played left tackle, left guard, and right guard in his time in the NFL. So yeah, to my recollection, I didn't even know who he was until yesterday afternoon when they signed him. I think it's just trying to... I mean, as it's been pointed out, there was only one offensive lineman under contract, which was uh, uh, DJ Humphrey. So just trying to get that offensive line filled out and have some bodies available and ready to go on the offensive line. I am seeing this here back to some college hoops news locally as well. Jonathan Giovanni is uh, reporting that Arizona's Kirk Carissa is entering the NCAA transfer portal. Uh, he has told ESPN Carissa has led the Pac-12 in assists while shooting 37% from three. This is really good news for U of A fans, in my opinion. I know that some of them love him, but uh, those people are confused. Um, you know, I've said for the end of the last two years now, whenever they've been eliminated, whether it was last year by Houston, I actually said this before they got eliminated by Houston last year and this year, 
uh, in uh, you know, obviously uh, by Princeton, uh, he cannot be a starting point guard in a top twenty kind of program in the country, or however where you ever think wherever you think the U of A should be ranked. Uh, he should not be playing extended minutes. He is. I don't know the metrics. I assume agree with this because he is just an atrocious defensive player. And as good a passer as he is, he's also not a consistent enough three-point shooter to overcome his horrible defense. I wonder if that's a conversation that was had about reduction of minutes and trying to get better guard play and uh, therefore not really wanting to ride the bench and going to enter the transfer portal. I would assume so. So I think that's actually a good thing. And be interesting with the transfer portal you really don't know you know what's going on until you actually you know, i don't really believe look at some of the transfers that are making an impact in the ncaa tournament right now i know providence is out but i mean they did their they redid their whole team uh last year and it worked for most much of this season they actually won the big east tournament a year ago with almost a completely different roster and then this year, they were undefeated at home. As it turns out, they ended up losing their last four games of the regular season if you count the NCAA tournament loss to Kentucky. 602-260-1060. That's the number if you'd like to join the program. 602-260-1060. We'll take your calls on the other side of the break. In addition to that, we'll get into some NBA, the NBA East, the NBA West, a significant injury as well in the NBA West. We'll continue to monitor all of that. But 602-260-1060 is the number if you'd like to join the show. It is the Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060, online at kdos1060.com. And with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. The contest with Superbook Sports is still ongoing. Pretty simple. All you have to do is listen for your opportunity to win the Superbook prize pack as well as the $100 gift certificate to anywhere. So that's pretty simple. Download the KDOS 1060 app and be a listener for the Superbook prize pack and the, uh, the $100 gift certificate. Your calls and much more of the extra point is next. Check out KDUS AM 1060 on 100.7 KSLX HD2. That's right, HD Radio on 100.7 channel number two. Welcome back to Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Bob Camp, Kayla Mortolaro with you. If you'd like to join the program, feel free to give us a call 602-260-1060. We'll dive into those calls in this segment. But for now... It's NBA discussion time, and let's start with the NBA East. The 76ers have officially clinched a playoff berth prior to Monday's double overtime loss to the Bulls. The 76ers had won eight in a row, including 14 of their last 17. This also in conjunction with what's going on with the Celtics. They've been a little bit more inconsistent, but it picked up a 132 to 109 win over the Kings last night in Sacramento. Since returning from the All-Star break, the Celtics are 8 and 6 with the Bucks now firmly with a two game I don't know if firmly is the appropriate word for a two game lead but in the lead two games uh, in first place in the east so you have the Bucks at 51 and 20 Celtics at 50 and 23 the 76ers at 48 and 23 the Cleveland Cavaliers at 46 and 28 Donovan Mitchell scored 31 last night including an insane poster dunk he's averaging 74 point 
27.4 points per game uh, on the season so far. So those are your top four in the East. Yeah, I think to me there's only two teams that I really think. Uh, I'm not buying the Sixers. I don't care if they win every game between now and the end of the regular season. I need to see them do something in the playoffs, and I'll trust Embiid staying healthy. Um, you know, Maybe I'm completely off base on that because I know he's you know, been more healthy this year, and he certainly played really well, uh, as he usually does when he's out there. But I just, uh, I just don't trust that roster of players. Uh, once it gets down to it, the Celtics got to get all their dudes out there, which it seems like they rarely have all their dudes out there. And Milwaukee, to me, and I've mentioned this for several weeks now, they are by far the best team in the Eastern Conference, and I think actually right now they're the best team in the NBA. And once again, you know, the Middleton thing is a little disturbing that he's still doing the load management thing on the consecutive games and you know, he's been, uh, he gets like 31 points and then doesn't play for like two or three games. But, uh, you know, they've got a deep enough roster where they've been able to survive without his uh, playing every game. Uh, then you have the Knicks in fifth at 42 and 31, the Nets uh, in sixth at 39 and 33, the Heat in seventh at 39 and 34, and the Hawks in eighth at 36 and 36. But I think to your point here, uh, just stay in that top quadrant, and, and that's what's going to be most uh, most important to pay attention to in the East. Well, to me, it's really the top two. Like I said, if the Sixers make the playoffs and win a playoff series, then I'll maybe take them seriously. The uh, Suns, they're back on the court tonight in Los Angeles facing the Lakers 7 p.m. on ESPN. As for the Suns' health, DeAndre Ayton is out with a right hip injury. Kevin Durant is out with his ankle injury. The Suns are in fourth at 38 and 33 after the Clippers' 101 to 100 loss to the Thunder last night. But potentially some devastating news for the Clippers suffered a knee slash leg injury, and that being Paul George who was reportedly seen leaving the arena yesterday on crutches. Yeah, well, it was an ugly-looking play with uh, Lou Dort from ASU uh, involved and uh, wasn't good. And then obviously he's had some lower leg issues before. So uh, to my knowledge, and I just looked during the break, I can't find anything new about uh, what his situation is today. Uh, you know, I guess the good news for the Suns is they're 5-5 five and five in their last 10 games. And then in the last week, they haven't lost any ground on the teams that are right behind them with the Clippers now two games behind the Suns in the loss column. Then you've got a whole bunch of teams that have 36 losses, including the Warriors, who continue their uh, you know five-game road trip, of which they've only won one so far, and that was against the Houston Rockets. So I don't, you know, I don't know that that counts, but the they won that game, but tonight, uh, you know, Golden State plays against, I believe they play Dallas tonight, and Dallas is another team that is just kind of staggering to the finish line here in the Western Conference, which is pretty much every team other than OKC that's behind the Suns staggering to the finish line. That's 100% true. Uh, the Suns there in fourth at 38 and 33. The Clippers in fifth at 38 and 35. The Warriors in sixth at 37 and 36. Apparently just play their games at home. The Thunder, though, they're in seventh and have risen to seventh at 36 and 36. The Mavericks, uh, 36 and 36 as well in eighth. And the Timberwolves in ninth at 36 and 37. The Jazz in tenth at 35 and 36. And the Lakers in 11th at 35 and 37. Ahead of the Suns remains the King. 
Kings in third at 43 and 29. The Grizzlies 44 and 27 in second. And the Nuggets in first at 48 and 24. But the Grizzlies potentially are getting John Morant back. Well, and Carl Anthony Towns expected to be back tonight after five months of being sidelined for the Timberwolves. And uh, uh, the teams, uh, the Suns aren't going to catch anybody ahead of them right now. So, you know, they'd have to win every game. And pretty much, you know, the teams, the three teams ahead of them would have to have some just, just substantial, you know, pretty much lose every game. We only have two weeks left of the regular season. So the loss column is something to pay attention to. It's kind of like a baseball pennant race at this point. Uh, the loss column is the most important thing to look at. Absolutely. Uh, does does getting John Morant back though? How does that play in for the Grizzlies? Uh, you know, they can still potentially catch the Nuggets, but also just overall for their team and you know where they're at mentally and uh, I guess perception at this point. Well, I have no idea where they're at mentally. They won three in a row without him, um, and actually they've done. You know, they they played pretty well. They've won seven in their last ten games. Uh, so they, they after that one horrendous stretch they had when Morant was still playing uh, before the incident uh, in Denver and other stuff going on even before that, uh, you know, they, uh, they weren't playing well. But uh, they've actually, at least record-wise, they've turned it around even before Morant's uh, return, which is expected to be tonight. In some sad NBA news, two-time NBA champion former Nick Willis Reed died yesterday at the age of 80. Reed was unable to attend the Knicks' 50th anniversary celebration of the 1973 championship game that took place on February 25th, honoring that team. He was a two-time NBA Finals MVP, and he also won regular MVP, regular season NBA MVP in the 1969 and 1970 season. Uh, do you have any memories in regard to Willis Reed? Definitely. I was a big Knicks fan in those days, but that was lar largely because of Walt Frazier was kind of my guy. Uh, they had the Puma shoes and whatever. I remember when I was uh, in high school aspiring to be a basketball player at the height of like 5'9". Pretty, pretty stupid thought on my part, right? But anyway, uh, but uh, they won the championship, as you mentioned. The 69-70 season is the first time the Knicks had won a championship in a billion years. And then they won again in the 73 season and uh, the one you just referred to. But, you know, Willis Reed was not even close to the same player at that point after some injuries. And actually, Jerry Lucas had a lot to do with the Sun, the uh, the Suns, <laughs> with the Knicks winning that particular championship as they, uh, they won the finals against the Lakers that particular year, too. Uh, he has 12,183 career points, 8,414 rebounds, and 1,186 career assists uh, with his career spanning from 1964 to 1974, all with the New York Knicks. Knicks. He also became a coach for like one season in 1997 to 1998 with the Knicks and then went on to Creighton and was an assistant with the Hawks and the Kings and then also another year stint with the New Jersey Nets in 80 and well, he was actually, you know, he did some general manager and front office work too for the for the Nets specifically that I recall. And uh, after his playing career ended, that was kind of, uh, you know, what he was most known for. Uh, what he's obviously most known for is oddly, you know, oddly enough, a game where he scored four points, uh, the uh, you know, seventh game of the 1970 NBA Finals, uh, when he injured his uh, hip in Game Five of that series against the Lakers. And then uh, made the heroic return in Game Seven. Uh, I don't even know if they, uh, after they, you know, shot him up. And I don't know if that was uh, you know, 
I don't think we knew that at the time. I think we kind of assumed that at the time. Uh, but uh, you know, that was uh, he came out and made the first two shots of that game against Game Seven against uh, against the uh, Lakers, and they went on to win. And that was also a game that Walt Frazier had 36 points and 19 assists in that game. And a couple of steals of Jerry West that uh, were, I'm sure, embarrassing to Mr. West. Uh, to your point about his front office roles, in 1996, he moved into the position of senior vice president of basketball operations with the Nets after previously being general manager and vice president. Uh, and then they were able to make the NBA finals in the 2002 and 2003 seasons. And then he became the VP of basketball operations with the New Orleans Hornets in 2004 and officially called his basketball career quits uh, in 2007. Yeah, as I mentioned, uh, you know, I think that uh, it's odd that uh, as good a player as he was, the game he's most remembered for, he had uh, four points. It was the first four points of that game. <laughs> uh, so obviously, uh, the the Knicks are going to be, uh, you know, in remembrance of Willis Reed, and I know that the NBA community as well, with Adam Silver having uh, several statements yesterday as well about R- Willis Reed, who passed away yesterday at the age of 80. Hour number one, we wrap it up on the other side of the break. We'll get into the WGC Dell Technologies Match Play Championship from Austin Country Club. In addition to that, there's actually a tournament taking place right here in town. The LPGA Drive-On Championship is going to be held at the Superstition Mountain Golf and Country Club this Weekend, So we'll uh, dive into that a little bit as well. It is the Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. KDUS AM 1060 into your home with Alexa. Hi, I'm Alexa. Download the KDUS AM 1060 skill and enable. Then say, Alexa, open KDUS AM 1060. This is where I start my day. of hour number one of Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060 on this Wednesday, March 22nd. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you in total up until noon today as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. It's currently underway, the 2023 WGC Dell Technologies Match Play. And I know you're saying to yourself, well, it's Wednesday. Yes, yes, it is Wednesday. And it's because uh, at Austin Country Club, par 71, 7,108 yards, Pete Dye designed golf course, uh, that the match play is coming down to a three-day Wednesday, Thursday, Friday round-robin type event to make it out of your group, and then it turns into single elimination on Saturday and championship Sunday. Match play, it's always such a volatile event. You could completely run into a buzzsaw of somebody that's making birdies, holing out for for eagle, Uh, and it's always an event where if you make a double bogey, it doesn't have really the same impact as it would 
it in a stroke play event because you only go down one hole. You don't lose two strokes to the field. So a volatile event, and it kind of made it interesting to figure out how do we figure out who's going to come out on top of this one. Uh, so I, I tried to think about how maybe we should look at ex- success on Pete Dye designed golf courses, so people that just kind of seemingly like these sorts of designs fit their eye really well. I, I thought maybe recent form would be a, a really solid thing to look into. And then also percentage of birdies or better, uh, because you need to be making bunches of birdies in order to have an opportunity. Like I said, if you're a more volatile player that, you know, in a stroke play event, you make six, seven birdies around and you throw in a double or a triple here and there, that's not as big of a deal. The birdies really matter here in this match play type setting. Uh, so trying to figure out what to do here. Um, well, went with Tyrrell Hatton and all of a sudden news came out this morning as they're showing him uh, on the driving range warming up. He's stretching out his hand and there's something going on. So there's a potential injury that he's dealing with. Maybe he'll speak to the media post game. And so we'll find out uh, what's going on in that regard. Uh, he is down. Uh, ben Griffin is up in this match, two up through 12 holes. But he is one of those people that is playing when I was looking at recent form. He is the only player inside the top 20 in strokes gained off of the tee, strokes gained approach, and strokes gained in putting. So talk about consistent playing great golf that's what you're looking at you're also kind of looking at you know who's going to get out of of the bracket uh, I went with Cam Young at plus uh 3100 he just switched caddies to Paul Tesori which was Webb Simpson's old caddy he ranks sixth in birdie or better percentage and sometimes something like that is just just the thing that you need to break through, get your first win, and really just kind of manage your way around the golf course better. That maybe it's not a talent issue, it's just a management issue. And switching that up to somebody who is as experienced as Paul Tesori is could be the difference maker. Also going Patrick Cantlay here, uh, he has major success on Pete Dye golf courses. He ranks second in birdie or better percentage. And his bracket, uh, if he doesn't self-destruct, His bracket makes a ton of sense for him to really move forward and have a good chance at this thing. Uh, Some other things that there are betting opportunities galore on the FanDuel Sportsbook app, and that's because it's match play. So those are head-to-head matchups. So you literally have all of these opportunities, 32 opportunities today, tomorrow, and Friday to look into head-to-head matchups here. So what we're doing, uh, Ryan Fox over Harris English, uh, he is currently up in that match one up through seven so we'll see how that continues to roll and then we're taking a flyer here because it's going kind of against um the, the what I what kind of what I said Victor Hovland is playing really really good golf striking the ball really well but I'm taking Matt Kuchar because he has so much success on this golf course that maybe the savvy veteran is going to figure out how to make a few putts and win this thing one up so we're going Matt Kuchar over Victor Hovland and that tees off a little bit later today so a fun event here on the PGA Tour for the WGC Dell Technologies match play event the other thing I wanted to make mention of is this week the LPGA drive-on championship taking place at Superstition Mountain Golf and Country Club Superstition Mountain Golf and Country Club hosted the Safeway International from 2004 to 2008 
Annika won that event in 2004-2005. Julie Inkster won it in 2006. And Lorena Ochoa in 2007 and 2008. So some legends of the game right there winning at Superstition Mountain Golf and Country Club. This event uh, has not been in Arizona for quite some time and it's not actually the same Safeway International event that has changed names numerous different times and moved elsewhere out of of the state of Arizona so this is kind of bringing this back and hoping that it catches on right now it's just a one year deal uh, for this event with the LPGA Drive On Championship world number two Nellie Corda is playing so is world number three Lydia Ko world number six Lexi Thompson world number seven Brooke Henderson and world number eight in G. Chun. You can watch it on a tape delay uh, starting Thursday at 6 p.m. But that's the LPGA event, and you can always go out and watch it if you'd like as well at Superstition Mountain Golf and Country Club in Gold Canyon. Hour number two of Extra Point is coming up on the other side of the break. Bob Camp, Kayla Mortolaro with you right here on KDUS AM 1060.